Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. And you're listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. You can now listen to all of our episodes and see show notes at FriendlyAtheistPodcast.com. I'm here at the American Atheist Convention in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm joined by Vicki Garrison. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. So we caught you on a pretty big day. Congratulations on your award. Yes, thank you. I was really stunned. Yeah, you're just named Atheist of the Year. And you didn't, I didn't realize you didn't know it was coming. No, I had no idea. It was, it was a total shocker. So I was pretty much speechless when I got up to receive the award, but I feel really honored. That's awesome. Um, so I, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I heard you interviewed um, by Beth Presswood and that group on Godless Bitches maybe three years ago now. I'm not it's sure been how. a while. And I, like, I remember very vividly like, where I was. It really was a story that stuck with me because I'd never heard of the Quiverful movement. Movement, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but, right. but all that. And it was just sort of just this peek into a world I wasn't aware of. So I know we only have a half hour <laughs> or so, but could you sort of give us a summation of your background and, well, and how you came to be here? It's interesting when I talk to people about Quiverful, they start out going... You know, I've never heard of that. It is so so freakish, and you know, they're thinking that it's this something that they have not encountered. That is just. Um, but I start talking about it, and I'm sharing my story. And after a little while, they're like, you know, I have a niece. I kind of wonder if that's not what she's doing. Nobody who is actually doing the quiverful life calls themselves quiverful. Right. They kind of got tagged that, and it's. it's you know, for that reason, kind of an unfortunate term. But basically what Quiverful is, is Christian fundamentalist families who take very seriously um, the idea that children are a blessing from the Lord. You know, that comes from Psalm 123, where it says, um, is it 127? I love it when I can't remember chapter (laughs) and verse anymore. I'm I'm deprogramming. Um, (laughs) I think it's 127, where it says, um, you know, behold, children are a blessing from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. So that's where the idea comes from that, Uh you know, these children are a blessing. And so we should be open, uh, the Christians should be open to receiving as many um, blessings as the Lord, you know, would send their way. And a lot of times they'll, they'll say it, they'll say, well, you know, if, if the Lord wanted to bless you, you know, with a million dollars, would you be going, no, thank you. I've had enough blessing. Of course you want to have all the blessing that God wants to, to, you know, put into your life, which is really kind of crazy now when I think about it. But I mean, there, it's very idealistic. It's very much, you know, this vision, this this head trip where you get this vision of a godly, happy family, big family, um, serving the Lord and doing things biblically. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this idea that in the Word of God, 
you can find, you know, basically um, God's purpose mm-hmm. and his model for marriage and for family and how to parent and how to, you know, relate. And so when you get that idea and you, and you start looking into the scriptures to say, you know, okay, what does God want our marriage to look like? What you're going to find is patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the husband is the head. The wife is the submissive helpmeet. And it, it ends up being just this completely crazy dynamic where you're just trying to stuff yourselves into these pre-prescribed uh, roles, gender roles, and they're very strict, and they're very, you know, and, and so what ends up happening is these families are just kind of contorting themselves in their relationships to try and fit something, and it doesn't matter if that man is not really a leader type. It doesn't matter if he has no desire to dominate his wife. It's, you know, it's prescri- prescribed by God, and God says, you know, as the man, you are the leader. You have that responsibility. You have to step up. You know, and it doesn't matter how competent the woman is, how, you know, she might have um, better education, she might have better organizational skills, whatever, and just be able to take a job and, you know, do it and do it competently. But no, she has to step back and she has to take that, that position of, um, you know, sub, subservient to the man. Right. She has to let him do the leading and uh, it, it ends up being just a, a very unhealthy relational dynamic. Mm-hmm. So um, a big part of that is that you obviously don't use birth control. And I think our, this is such like a stupid touchstone, but the Duggars are kind of the go-to Absolutely. Yes. people in this movement. And they have a gajillion children now, is I, I always call it uh, the Duggar family from TLC's way too many kids and counting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's this, and you personally, like you, you have how many children? I have seven. Seven children. So you were in the Quiverful movement for the majority of your adult life. I, I was a Christian for 25 years and it was about the last 16 where I really got into the fundamentalism. It was a very gradual process. Uh-huh. You know, I didn't just jump in. Right. Because if somebody would have showed me from the beginning the full package, mm-hmm. you know, and they just said, okay, you're going to be having a baby every other year. You're going to have, you know, you have to homeschool them. You have to home birth and um, home church and you have to shelter them all from, you know, every outside influence. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I just seen that whole thing at the beginning, I'm pretty sure that I would have, you know, dug harder into the word and found a different way Uh to serve God wholeheartedly. (laughs) I would have like said, no, that can't be right. But it was just a very gradual progression. And it was like, you take one step and then the next one makes sense. And then you kind of have to do the next. Uh And so it it took a while, but it, you know, we totally, we drank the Kool-Aid to the very bottom of the glass. And so you have, so at one point, you know, you have one kid, two, three, and at what point are you like, maybe I don't need another child? And like, I'm sure it had repercussions in your health and things like that. Could you speak to you that? You know, interestingly, when I was in, in my talk today, I, I said, I, I never wanted any kids. That was my plan. <laughs> was just to not, you know, I was just going to skip all that because I didn't think I would make a very good mother. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very much a, an introvert, and I like alone time. 
And I didn't want to feel responsible for the childhood of another person because mine was kind of messed up. Uh And I was like, I don't think I could do any better, so Mm -hmm. let's just not. And plus I have a a bone condition which is genetic, and it is very... um, it causes chronic pain, it can be debilitating, and it just, it really sucks. And I knew that if I did get pregnant, that there's a 50-50 chance every time that the child would have this, this condition also. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't something that I wanted to pass on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had that idea that, you know, no thanks, <laughs> I just won't do that. So where did that shift come? Uh, well, what happened was I ended up in this relationship where the guy told me that he had had a vasectomy because he didn't want to use a condom. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I went to a crisis pregnancy center for my free birth or free pregnancy test. Uh And while I was waiting for the results, which what those tests take three minutes, but they had me in there 40 minutes waiting. And I, they had me watch the silent scream and there was so much, you know, they just put, pushed all this information on me. They told me that my baby was, you know, fully formed with a functioning brain, a beating heart. And they're just showing me these pictures of these little, you know, live tiny humans. Yeah, the tiny, ones. And, and by the time I walked out of there, you know, I, I made, they made a prenatal appointment for me. And when I went to that first appointment, I had, be, I had been so depressed that I had, like, starved myself down to 69 pounds. And the doctor, he took one look at me. I mean, I was skeletal. I looked like I could just fall over, and, and I should have been hospitalized. Um, he said, you should not be pregnant. And I, I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I did, buddy. Uh, but, but at that point... You know, abortion was already not an option for me because I, they had already gotten inside my head. As mm-hmm. much as I did not want to be a mom, didn't want to be pregnant, didn't want to, I didn't want any of this. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I would do with a kid. But, you know, it was too late. I was like, I, I chose life because the alternative was, you know, to rip my little tiny person to yeah. shreds and, and go burn in hell, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. And, and so then I was pregnant, and it was through this whole pro-life rhetoric. And that's what, what Quiverful really is. is like you take everything that the people in, in the pro-life movement, I, and I can't on radio say pro-life with quotes, but I'm, I'm putting it in quotes. <laughs> Apply your own quotes, guys. Um, yeah. Uh, you take everything that they're, that they're teaching, that, that, that ideology, and if you actually take it seriously and you put it into effect, you live it out in your life, that's quiverful. Mm-hmm. And so that is basically the story of my life. You know, I, I had a baby, and I thought, okay, I need to, I need to you know, get my act together mm-hmm. and do something to make sure that her life is not going to be as shitty as mine was, yeah. you know, to put it uh, bluntly. And so I, you know, I just felt that I had to search the word and, you know, trust in God. And I was praying and I was, you know, I was like, I need to be a really good Christian woman, a Christian mother. And uh, so that was really like what started me down that path. And Mm -hmm. I just got more and more and more fundamentalist. Yeah. 
um, I got to the point where the independent fundamental Baptist church in my town we felt was too wishy-washy, <laughs> too, too liberal. I'm always saying that about Baptists. Too compromising. <laughs> yeah. Guys pick a side. And so we ended up uh, at a home church, you know, where we were only fellowshipping with other like-minded families who were also, you know, trusting the Lord with their family planning, and they were homeschooling. And, and so it became very insular. It became very narrow. I mean, in that, what did you, did you call yourself something? Did you have a name for it? Biblical. Oh, because you just followed We, we were true Christians. We were the... You, oh, you were the true Christians. <laughs> we were the true I've, I've Christians. I've been looking for you guys. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, is even, like, is abstinence even a pro, uh, uh, um, an option in Quiverful, or is you it know, just like... It's interesting because Nancy Campbell, who is one of the, the lead promoters of, of the Quiverful ideal... She has a magazine called Above Rubies magazine, and she does conferences. She, you know, is very influential. And she says, how natural is natural family planning when at the very time that a woman is fertile, that's when she wants to have sexual relations. You know, Uh she is horny. Uh And so (laughs) Nancy Campbell would never say horny. (laughs) We're not putting words in your mouth, That's Nancy. right. <laughs> I mean, and so it, it's not natural. And yeah. so you're actually going against, you know, what God has designed your body to do. Mm-hmm. And so that is basically, you know, yeah. playing God when you say, no, I'm not, I'm saying no to the possibility of life. And when you do that, you're putting yourself in the position of the creator. And so, so why would we do that? Right? Yeah. God. So you, so you had your first daughter, and then did you marry her father? Is that um, who you ended up marrying? I, it was actually a couple years later that I found myself a good Christian husband who was very <laughs> devoted to, uh-huh. um, you know, just living biblically just as I was. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he had like some, some kind of, I don't know, not so great tendencies towards obsession, towards, uh, you know, micromanaging. Oof. But, um, you know, I was, I, I was really focusing on my daughter, and he was, he was really good with kids, mm-hmm. and she really liked him, and there was that thing. And so I prayed about it, and the Lord just gave me peace in my heart. Oh, <laughs> and nice so, yeah. <laughs> And so I just trusted, and, and we got married, and we were determined, you know, that we were going to live biblically, uh-huh. and we were just going to do things God's way. And so, I mean, it was a process. It, mm-hmm. was, it started out, you know, it, it wasn't a problem. I think if I hadn't been a Christian, it wouldn't take me very long to say, you know, I don't think we're really that compatible, and it would have been over. Uh-huh. But because we believed that, you know, God hates divorce, Mm-hmm. That just you know is not a solution, and so so yeah, we stuck it out for eighteen years, and then just got it, it was like a you know like a snowball, yeah, <laughs> you know it starts out little, but then it just grows and grows, and by the end it was just so oppressive, it was so um, we we all just hated our lives, every one of us, and him too. I mean, it, I think patriarchy just ruined him. I felt I feel bad. I feel like he is also a victim yeah. of uh, not to condone the the abuse that we ended up, you know, just, right. But I understand what 
you know, how he got there. Yeah, I think that's, I, I think it's a really good point that you raised that uh, usually when we talk about, you know, the patriarchy or, you know, misogyny, and it's all about, like, how women are affected, which we clearly are, like, no doubt about it. But, like, men aren't that good off, you know, that well off in it either. No. Like, they're no. assigned these um, traits of masculinity that they have to abide by, yes. which, if that's not them, that's just as uncomfortable for them to... It's just a shitty right. system. It, tur- it, turns, it turns these guys into assholes. Yeah. That is just I'm, that is what happens, and I've seen it over and over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what makes it really insidious is because you know, as wives, we know in our hearts that this guy, you know, deep down, he's actually a nice, caring, right. you know, loving. He's very devoted. Sure. He's trying his damnedest to fit into that box that God says he has to live in this way. He has to rule his home in this way. And so he's trying, and it just goes completely against the grain. Yeah. And, but he's doing it because, you know, this is right. This is biblical. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, it just is this downward spiral, and he ends up just like, how did we get here? It's a mess. So you had... Se- Seven kids, which Seven. is so many children. It is a lot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And when, it's a quiverful. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't imagine, you know, I don't know, obviously, too much about you, but I, mean, I feel like even the financial burden of raising a litter of children yes. like that yes. has to, like, that just compounds everything else and takes And, and never mind that, I mean, um, so my husband, ex-husband now, is blind, and so he, so. you know, wasn't really able to, he had his disability income, which mm-hmm. was not a lot, but mainly our plan at the beginning, before we encountered full-blown patriarchy, was that, you know, he would stay home with the kids because he's really good with them, he liked them, and mm-hmm. I was not so much, you know. Yeah. I didn't like going to the park with my kids, and so, but I loved studying. I was in college and I had a job at the answering service, and I just, that was, that was great. I really liked being out there, doing things that were productive, that mm-hmm. I could, you know, have, I felt competent doing those things. I did great in school. And so, you know, basically we had come up with the idea that I would just earn the income. Sure. And he could do domestic things, and that was going to work out really well for us. We were, um, you know trying to compensate for the weaknesses and capitalize on what strengths we had, yeah. working together, that kind of thing. Sounds but like then, a good plan. <laughs> but then we found out that God did not approve that, you know, Whoops. that it's the man's duty to support the family. And it's the wife's place is in the home. So you both have and to do so things I, you don't like to do. I quit college. I quit my job. I came home. And, but, you know, we still have this thing, like we're having baby after baby, and we have to feed them, we have to house them. And so what I did is I started a family newspaper, and I, I named him as the president. <laughs> so basically, I'm working from home, and I'm publishing this paper, uh-huh. and, and he did do what he could. You know, being blind, he couldn't do much of the, the publication part, so I would do the editing, the publishing, get it to the printer, and then he would take over... He had just a, a network of volunteers, which was really awesome, and they would help him to, you know, with the sales and the distribu- distribution. So mm-hmm. he was helping with it, but you know, as president, he's like gets all the credit, and actually, I'm the one 
who is the, you know, I don't work, I stay at home, uh-huh. and I'm the stay-at-home mom who is... you're like, on your computer. I know, <laughs> I know, and that's, that's what ended up happening. And so, did you know, you homeschooled your kids on top of that, right? We did homeschool. So you're popping out baby after baby, you're running a newspaper. Yes. And that baby popping, that was destroying my health like crazy because I... I had this bone condition that, you know, it makes, I, I had this, these complications that made it like literally a life-threatening thing every time. Every it time. would just incapacitate me. And every time I was just so close to, um, at one point I actually had a partial uterine rupture, which you would think would be this clear sign from God that that was enough. Yeah. But, but, you know, the doctor, he spent an hour like carefully stitching me back together and, and then he told me, he said, you know, um, I don't think it would be a good idea for you to have more babies. And I was like, but I still have a uterus. And after how many kids was this? This was my, my seventh was... and, my, and my last, yeah. but I did not my last pregnancy. Even after that, I got pregnant two more times and mis- two... had an early miscarriage. And I don't know what, I, I probably would have been dead if I hadn't miscarried. But um, I was just that... Devoted, I was that I had so uh, internalized that martyr mentality right. that if it killed me, I still was you know that my life verse was God, it from Job, so where he said it is fucked up, where he said though he slay me, yet will I trust him? I mean that was very personal to me. I was like, yeah, maybe I will die, but I'm going to trust in Jesus because He knows best. He knows. You know, he has the eternal perspective, and I just had this little, little pea brain that, <laughs> compared to God's, yeah. you know, I don't know. He knows, and so I'm just going to leave it to him, which is, I'm going to just say, mega delusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of co- yes. Of yes. Course. Yeah. So, so seven babies, then two miscarriages, and then at what point are you like, nope, not done? You know, when I, when I started seeing, the whole reason that, that I was doing this was because I wanted to be a good mom. I, you know, I didn't want to be a mom, but I was a mom. So I, like, I've got to make the best of it. I've got to do my absolute best. And so I was committed. Whatever I had to do to make sure that my kids had a good life. Mm-hmm. But after a while, I started noticing that my kids were not thriving in that environment. You know, they had, everything was so restrictive. They were not allowed, I mean, we were to the point where, you know, we couldn't even let our kids go to Sunday school or participate in youth group because then they would be exposed to public school children. And so, you know, it was like, they just almost had no lives. It was so controlled, it was so narrow. And they, you know, basically, we're told from birth, here is God's plan for you. You know, it's not like they get to choose their lives. It's not like they get to have any options. It's just all prepackaged and handed to them from birth. Here's your life. Uh And, and then, you know, just the stress and it became, you know, just the domination and the, the control. Uh And when I saw how unhappy my children were, my brain is just scrambling. I'm like, this isn't, it does not compute because I am doing everything 
you know, to the very best of my ability, mm -hmm. I'm so sincere, and I, you know, I am willing to do whatever. And I'm, it's not like I'm asking God for, you know, super spiritual, you know, next Billy Graham, whatever. But I at least don't want them to be so miserable that they right. hate their lives and that they are just, you know, depressed all the time. And so I'm thinking, obviously, something... Uh, and of course, I thought it had to be something wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> of course. It wasn't of course, working of course out. it's your fault. I know. <laughs> uh, did you have like a moment that it clicked in, or was it a more gradual thing? It was, it was kind of an interesting thing that happened. Um, when I was 37 years old, um, like I, I had never known my dad because he and my mom divorced before I was old enough to remember him, and I didn't ever hear from him. Mm -hmm. Uh, so about 37 years old, I was feeling convicted about the fifth commandment. And I thought, if I really want to honor my father, then I should find him and share the good news. And so I went on the internet and <laughs> I looked him up. I found him. And he was in, in Arkansas going to the Second Baptist Church, which I thought was interesting. Who admits to being second if they're Baptist, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but I mean, he was already a Christian. He had been married to the same woman for about 30 years. Uh -huh. Everything's good. And when, when I met him, you know, he was just so proud. That was like right after we had won, well, maybe a little before. We, we had been named as the Nebraska Family of the Year from the, by the Nebraska Family Council. And that was in recognition of that newspaper that we were doing. We were publishing a pro-life, pro, -life, pro uh -huh pro-family newspaper. That was how we were supporting our um, quiver full of blessings. <laughs> so, uh, so he's just like really proud. You know, yeah. he's got this Christian daughter who is so solid, so committed. And uh, it, was all, it was all good. And so like three years later, I had an opportunity to meet the rest of my family on his side, who also lived in, in Arkansas. And it was funny because uh, when we were talking on the phone about it, he says to me, well, you need to be careful about your Uncle Ron because he's not a Christian uh -oh. and he's kind of tricky and he's going to try to confuse you. <laughs> I love Uncle Ron. I was so insulted. <laughs> I was like, seriously, what do you think is going to happen? Because I am so solid. Yeah. I mean, I am... Um, Unshakable. Uh, yes, absolutely unshakable. Like, Dad, I'm Nebraska family of the year, okay? I, I am such a Christian. You know, like, I know that I know that I know yeah. God is in my heart. Yeah. I have had, you know, testimony after testimony of him working in my life, times that he saved my life. You know, I could have died every time, but I didn't because God was protecting me. He was blessing me. You know, like, nobody could convince me that this was not all so real. Yeah. And so I went into this with a lot of confidence. But what happened, uh, I got to Arkansas, and I met my Uncle Ron, and I really liked him. Like this instant connect. You know how there are people, yeah. you just meet them, and you Click just in. immediately, it clicks, and you, yeah, that's how it was. And we spent time, we talked and everything. And by the time I got back uh, to Nebraska, he had emailed me. And he said, uh, you know, I really appreciate, you know, meeting you. I can see that you're very intentional and kind of countercultural, mm -hmm. and I admire that, you know, and, and so I, I really would like to get to know you better. I wonder if you're up to an email or two. 
So, <laughs> so what happened, like I told you that we had come to the point where we were at this home church uh-huh. and we, we had so isolated ourselves and within the home church there was this huge um, segregation uh, by gender. You know, really? we, we would have our, our church service and then we would have our meal and then all the women would go to the kitchen and we would talk about homeschool curriculum and child discipline. And I would, you know, I was into all of that because I was a mom and I wanted to, you know, know, you know, recipes, give me some good recipes. <laughs> but in the, out in the living room, like I always had one ear listening out in the living room because that's where all the men were. And they were talking Bible doctrine. They were talking theology. They were talking stuff that I actually was interested in and probably knew more about than they did. But it was not my place, you know. Sure. So it would drive me crazy because I wanted in on that. I wanted to be able to talk about, you know, these, these important things. But I couldn't. So when I had this chance where I could email with my uncle, mm-hmm. I went crazy. <laughs> I was just like, finally. And it gave me this opportunity. And, and people were, you know, when they started realizing that there was it was, you know, starting to have some effect on the way that I was thinking and, uh-huh. and my perspective. They wanted to say, you know, oh, no, you can't do this. You can't talk w- with this man. But this man happens to share my DNA. I mean, never mind that he's basically a perfect stranger, right? right? But because we actually are related, yeah. then he's, you know, supposedly safe. And so they couldn't quite say no. Yeah. And so we just went crazy. And actually in about little less than a year, and, and really solidly for about six months, we wrote back and forth like a thousand emails. Wow. I mean, it was just, it became an obsession because it gave me, you know, I told you that I had this in my mind that yeah. something wasn't adding up. Yeah. And it gave me a chance to start processing that, to start going back and trying to figure out, you know, what, yeah. what is going on? What am I missing here? Yeah. Do you think, like... Did he have motivations? Like, did he want to sort of deconvert you or? I I don't think that that was really it. I really, um, I mean, my dad insists that that was, you know, that he went into it deliberately with that intention. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't ever feel like he was challenging um, well, he's, you your, know, or, he's on you talk it wasn't, out of it. It wasn't like a big apologetic sure. discussion, sure, sure, you sure. know, like back and forth. I uh-huh. mean, there were times where, um, we would go back and forth, but not not in a debate kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I basically, it was me trying. I was, you know, I wanted to explain why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. But I realized that he does not have the same, um, you know, limitations in his thinking that it all has to be biblical. Mm-hmm. And in fact, he does not accept the Bible as an authority in any way. No. So I'm trying to explain <laughs> why I'm submiss- submitting to my husband or why I'm not using birth control or, uh-huh. you know, why we are homeschooling. And from... And he's not accepting because with, of the Bible. But I, I'm trying to do all of that without, you, you know, referring to that authority to be able to say, okay, well, here's some good reasons for it without appealing to the Bible mm-hmm. and, and not sound like a total nut job, Right. But the more that I, I thought about it, uh-huh. and I, it forced me to have to, you know, 
find actual reasons yeah. other than just, you know, thus saith the Lord. And it, it wasn't very long before I was like, you know, if it wasn't for this book, this is crazy. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and so you left? You left your Like, what was the order of, like, where did, how did the dominoes oh, fall? It was like, like the whole world just crashing down at once, you know, because I, I remember hearing a, a preacher one time in a Baptist church, and he was talking about the, fa- the firm foundation, mm-hmm. which is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you want to build a really tall, you know, skyscraper, you first have to dig down and make a really solid foundation. And, and the you know, more solid that it is, the better your foundation, the higher you can build. Yeah. And I felt like I had a rock-solid, humongous, you know, unshakable foundation. Uh-huh. I, I was so convinced. And I had built a very elaborate structure on top of it. I mean, everything in my life was centered around Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, I had all these kids. I had, I mean, even our, our living was this Christian family newspaper. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that we were doing was because of the Bible and because of Jesus. It was all, you know, we were just so into it. And so when I, when I realized you know, after a period of time back and forth with Ron, um, I got to this point where I realized that I did not believe enough of the Bible and Christianity to still be able to call myself a Christian. Hmm. So that foundation just like poof is gone. But I still had that whole structure. You know, I still had the kids. I still had the paper. I still had the patriarchal husband. It was all still there, but I'm just like no support for it whatsoever. And, and it did, it, it was a big crashing mess. It was scary mm-hmm. at first. Of course. <laughs> of course it was. It was. It, it was really funny because, I mean, it's funny now from this perspective. I'm sure it's but hilarious I remember, at the time. <laughs> I remember, you know, another pastor who had been, you know, doing a sermon about atheism. You know, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he said, he was quoting Francis Schaeffer who said that atheists have both feet firmly planted in midair. And that, you know, I thought that was so clever. Like, ah, <laughs> oh, they have nothing, you know, to hold them up, no ground to stand on. Uh, but then I found myself in that position uh-huh. in which, you know, the bottom was gone. That foundation was gone for me. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, it, it turned out, you know, like, because I, I has, still had kids. My youngest was only four. And so, you know, you have to get up and you have to just keep going mm-hmm. throughout the day. I, I did get a divorce. Um, you know, if I, like, that was the thing. The Bible says God hates divorce. Yeah. And now that I didn't believe in the Bible, I was like, well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. And I put my kids in public school. And I just, like, what day by day, I'm just getting up and I'm doing whatever needs to be done. And I kept expecting, you know, any day to just be, you know, I thought I'm going to wake up one of these days and I'm be like, why bother? Yeah. I, I was waiting for that, you know, purposelessness and that uh-huh. meaninglessness to set in and for me to get completely depressed. Uh-huh. Um, and it, it didn't happen. It just like day by day, I, I started to actually feel happy. I started to make choices that were like based on 
what you wanted. Yeah, reasons. I started to see my kids come alive. I mean, they had an opportunity to start exploring who they are, what their interests were, Mm -hmm. not what does God want for my life, but, you know, what do I like? Yeah. What am I, what kind of person do I want to be? And it was so exciting to see that and just to see them, you know, just basically turn into actual people rather than little automatons. And it was, it was awesome. So. (laughs) And are, how old are your kids now? My youngest just turned 12. Mm-hmm. And my oldest is 29. Nine. So, and I got Sweet. every age in between. <laughs> um, yeah, that's quite a sprawl. Um, <laughs> and how are they? Are any of them religious, or have they? Are they still figuring it out? Um, not, not really. Um, I have several of them that are just like openly uh, atheists. They're activists. They're yeah, and I have some that are just like, whatever, I don't even care about this question because I've got other things that are more important in my uh, life, like, you know, high school, my, yeah. my one daughter, she's a cheerleader, she's in track, and she's like, she she's does busy. not really care whether God is or isn't, she's just doing her stuff. Yeah, oh, good, I mean, that's how it should be. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great story. Have you ever noticed... After talking to a lot of uh, religious people lately, I've noticed that there's a lot of like symbolisms and metaphors in like sermons. There's like a foundation, or there's yes. this. It's always like these images. I don't know. What, I wonder where that is. That was just a. That wasn't a question. Right. That was me just it, thinking. It out just loud. provides this little picture that's supposed to guide you along your way. Yeah, exactly. And I I love that. You know, when I first became a Christian, because I was looking for that. I w- I had been raised in such a chaotic home. It was mm-hmm. so dysfunctional and so crazy. And so unstable. And so what I was wanting is like a formula. I wanted rules. I wanted somebody to tell me how it's done. Uh You know, having chapter and verse, it was like, yes. Always (laughs) got something to tell you exactly like, this is right, this is wrong. Right. black and white. Right. It made it... it It's harder living in the gray. You know, but... (laughs) I mean, it's harder in that... You have to actually own yeah. your decisions. You don't. You can't just pass it off and say, "Well, you know, I don't really have a choice because here's what God wants me to yeah. do." But as far as I mean, I I haven't had a pregnancy in 12 years, Yay. and I'm saying that is like way not harder. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's I much, mean, not being pregnant is much easier yes, than being pregnant yes. seven times. <laughs> <laughs> and then how? What, what was the final step? Like you just won atheist of the year. Like what? So you went. Your pendulum is just like swinging all the way the other way. You know, you would think that after years and years and years of indoctrination, that it would take a lot of deprogramming. But what I found, you know, especially after I started no longer quivering, and we have this website where women are telling their stories and they're supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I find is that it's such a comprehensive worldview. And like I said, you've got that that firm foundation, everything is completely built on that. Mm-hmm. And so when that goes, when that belief in the um, inerrant word of God goes, it's like a house of cards. It just collapses. It just crumbles. Uh-huh. And so, um, and it was like that. I mean, I spent a little bit of time, and I'm not going to say it was very long, less than probably like six month period where I was just scrambling trying to find what I could salvage of Christianity. I looked into progressive Christianity. Uh-huh. I looked into 
um, feminist spirituality, just, you know, whatever. I was just grasping, there's got to be something to yeah. this. And no, I just ended up going, no, it's all bullshit. And so, <laughs> so here I am. And here you are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, it's just such an incredible story. I thank you for, for sharing it with us. And man, con- congratulations <laughs> on everything. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, you have quite a story. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, you've been more than generous with your time, so thank you so much. Um, so people can find your blog is no longer quivering. No, no longer quivering dot com. Yeah, yeah, and, and find me on Twitter at no at no quivering. I love Twitter dramas. <laughs> That's what I do when I when I have nothing else, like sit in the waiting rooms, which I do a lot of uh, <laughs> doctors' appointments, dentist appointments for my kids, and so then I'll just tweet. And I just love to troll <laughs> to the true believers. Oh, I do. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look into that. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast for FriendlyAtheist.com. This episode was taped at Cinnamon Sound Studios in Aurora, Illinois, and the music was written and performed by Brad Chagdis. If you like what you're hearing, please consider making a contribution at patreon.com slash hemant. That's He-Man T. We appreciate your support. I'm Hemant Mehta. And I'm Jessica Blumke. We hope you'll join us next time.